from Great Britain via Israel to the world. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Tell your friends, spread the word, and subscribe now. Aren't you ashamed? Aren't you ashamed? Violent anti-Zionist thuggery masquerading as protest returns to Britain's streets. The target is Israel's ambassador to the UK, Tsipi Khotevelli. The fight and the battle is not just Israeli or Jewish. We all need to fight it together, but this is not the end. We need, we need to do more in order to fight anti-Semitism. And I know the Jewish community is very much concerned because no one experienced anything like that in Britain. And we need to make sure that Britain will be the free democratic country that it stands for its values and not a country where Jews are afraid to go to school or go to synagogues or to look like Jews. A mob was rounded up on Instagram. I will not be silenced. I will not be intimidated. Today's guest is her opposite number in Tel Aviv, the UK ambassador to Israel, Neil Wigan. So I spoke to Ambassador Ottavelli uh, as soon as I saw what had happened. Uh, as you say, she was very calm about it. She stressed that she had actually uh, had a very good conversation with uh, students at LSE before that happened. Um, and as she's tweeted publicly, she's been very grateful for, for the reaction from the British government, uh, which has been very supportive. Uh, and I and, and other ministers have spoken directly to her. Uh, and we've really been very clear that freedom of speech is absolutely fundamental and people should not be intimidated in this way. And ministers from the Home Secretary, the Foreign Secretary, the Education Secretary and others uh, have been very clear about that. Um, but Ambassador Hotovelli is, is clear that she will carry on engaging with, with, with British students going to universities uh, and and sees that as, as something vital that she's determined to keep doing. In the aftermath, I was invited on to my talk radio colleague, Kevin O'Sullivan's show, who made this clear-sighted statement. Uh, the one term they're not using, I think, is the elephant in the room. This was, in my view, a blatant display of anti-Semitism on the streets of London. Joined uh, right now uh, by a journalist presenter of Johnny Gould's Jewish State podcast, a prominent anti-Semitism campaigner, Johnny Gould. Uh, good evening, Johnny. As always, a pleasure, Kev. Thanks for having me on the show tonight. Uh, thank you for joining me. Now, uh, this uh, spectacle has been... Uh, condemned by uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel, Foreign Secretary Liz Trust, Tory MP James Cleverley, and the Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi, who called it unacceptable. Uh, this kind of aggressive behaviour cannot happen on the streets. Um, I guess the person most closely appalled by this will be Nadim Zahawi, who, as you quoted there, said how unacceptable and how sorry he was. He's literally come back from an Auschwitz trip. And it was the anniversary of Kristallnacht in which this uh, attack on our values, and I don't just mean Jewish values, I mean British values, took place. And for casual observers to this controlled riot, controlled protest, uh, should be under no illusion that this is an assault on British values. Uh, I've interviewed Ambassador Tsipi Khotevelli and uh, there was the disgrace of the Blackburn Four, shall we call them, who raced down Finchley Road in uh, northwest remember, London yeah. uh, with, with megaphones uh, telling everyone that they were going to murder and rape uh, Jewish females, daughters of the people living upstairs in fear and deciding not to go out because of it. 
The good news is that she addressed the students for 90 minutes. She was not disturbed by them. And indeed, as you saw in that uh, video, she, she was clutching a bouquet of flowers as a token of thanks from the organizers. Uh, what the Israeli security were doing, and of course they have to be among the best in the world, was very clear. They thought, right, we're going to get this public figure out of the building as soon as possible. She wasn't running away. She wasn't in fear. And she tweeted today uh, that she is not intimidated. And if that rabble think that someone like Tsipi Hotevelli will be intimidated, they've got another thing coming. Britain and Israel have never been closer. Values are converging post-Brexit and in the era of the Abraham Accords. Two nation-states with common values, challenges, industries and defence issues. And Ambassador Wigan is the embodiment of that. He's married to an Israeli, Yael, and they have two children. It's a government that believes strongly in, in positives as well. So the, the desire to build a new National Holocaust Memorial um, and, and teaching centre next to the Houses of Parliament demonstrates our commitment to, to try to educate people as a really important way of combating anti-Semitism. Uh, the government is also very clear about its uh, opposition to, to the B, to BDS. We do not think that that is uh, any, in any way the right thing to do. Um, and in terms of, of justifying the UK's relationship with Israel, I feel very comfortable doing that. I mean, as I talked about before, uh, drugs which save lives in the UK are provided by Israeli companies. We have a very deep trading relationship that creates jobs. Uh, throughout the UK, and we're seeing more and more um, Israeli investment into the UK, and again, very much across the UK and in important infrastructure. Um, and at the embassy, we work very hard, for example, on giving the British firms, giving the NHS and others access to cutting-edge Israeli technology and everything from uh, healthcare to uh, how do you combat uh, cyber fraud. Um, as a way of making British firms more, more competitive, more profitable uh, and better serving their customers. So I feel extremely comfortable um, supporting the current strength of the relationship. Some straight talk coming up. When is the British embassy joining the US in Jerusalem? On moving the embassy, so our policy has always been that uh, at some stage, yes, we would move the embassy, but we we expect that would be in the, the context of a peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians uh, when final, issue, final status issues are resolved. It's clearly uh, something you can only do once, uh, and we would do it at the time when we thought it had the maximum positive impact towards the peace process. But he's under no illusion of the existential threat posed by Hamas in the south and Hezbollah in the north. Uh, and you look across and you see Hezbollah flags, you get detailed briefings from the Israelis on the threat from Hezbollah, um, and you see the instability in Syria and so on. So Israel is a country that has to take its security very seriously, uh, and we are very clear that we understand that, and we entirely support Israel's uh, right to self-defense and the need to, to address its own security. But by some measures, Israel is now at a greater state of security than it has been for most of its history, and we hope that will help towards being able to produce peace. That has some real positives to it as well. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Leave a rating or review, because that way 
more people get to enjoy the show. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Johnny Gould or click on the PayPal icon on the donations page at jewishstate.co.uk or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee at coffee.com slash Johnny Gould. That's ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. Ambassador Neil Wigan, welcome to Johnny Gould. Jewish state. Thank you very much, Johnny, and thanks very much for the chance to talk. Now, you are in uh, Tel Aviv on the, uh, well, just by the Hilton Hotel, aren't you? How is working in Tel Aviv in that area? So it it is lovely. I I can literally see the Mediterranean from my office. So on a a sunny day in in October in Israel, I can make everybody in London feel deeply jealous by the quality of my life. Indeed, I can't really compare with that view as I look out to central London. I can see, well, I like their lovely autumnal deciduous trees here yeah, on a sort of particularly uh, cloudy, typical November day here in London. Well, so actually, so last night I did the, the Tel Aviv night run where they, they close off a whole load of streets in central Tel Aviv and let sort of thousands of people run through it. And it was, it was just fantastic. I mean, so everybody was out sitting in cafes. Uh, it was the only run I've ever done where they provide beer before you start running, which is really quite something. Um, but it's just great sort of seeing everybody in uh, in November sitting out and, uh, yeah, having a beer and a coffee and, and watching all the runners go past. That is excellent. Ambassador Wigan, we cannot continue the interview without discussing the incident outside the LSE who invited Ambassador Chotevele, your opposite number, here in London to speak to um, a very keen audience of young students and she was met as she left by an extremely hostile crowd and her security detail felt it important to get her out of the situation in conjunction with the police as quickly as possible. It's important to note that she was not intimidated by this, her event was not called off or curtailed in any way, but can I ask you for your comments on what you saw and what has happened? Of course. So, I mean, so I spoke to Ambassador Ottavelli uh, as soon as I saw what had happened. Uh, as you say, she was very calm about it. She stressed that she had actually uh, had a very good conversation with uh, students at LSE before that happened. Um, and as she's tweeted publicly, she's been very grateful for, for the reaction from the British government, uh, which has been very supportive. Uh, and I and, and other ministers have spoken directly to her. Uh, And we've really been very clear that freedom of speech is absolutely fundamental and people should not be intimidated in this way. And ministers from the Home Secretary, the Foreign Secretary, the Education Secretary and others uh, have been very clear about that. Um, But Ambassador Hotovelli is is clear that she will carry on engaging with with British students, going to universities uh, and and sees that as, as something vital that she's determined to keep doing. It's very important, isn't it, to stress at this time for listeners who may not be in too much detail about the ins and outs of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict must know that the incident was an affront to uh, the values of both Britain and Israel and, in fact, any uh, peace-loving nation, any democratic nation. No, so I mean, so Britain, as you know, has a huge tradition of uh, freedom to, to protest, but also freedom of speech and freedom from intimidation. Uh, and universities should be places where you exchange ideas, you, you have a vigorous debate with people. It should not be where intimidation by a very small groups of people stifles debate and stifles discussion. We think that's 
uh, entirely wrong, and the government is very clear about that. Ambassador Wigan, your station, your mission in Israel is is quite a personal one. As I was doing my research, I find out that uh, you're married uh, with two children to an Israeli wife, Yael. So is this the dream job? <laughs> you know, you came uh, from mean, uh, Somalia. Yes, it's the, 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 the simple and honest answer to that question. So, uh, I mean, I first came to Israel oof, in uh, 1990 uh, when I was studying at university and was studying history and history of the region. So I uh, first came to Israel for that. Then came back professionally as an economist before I joined the foreign ministry. But then my first job in the foreign office was at the embassy in Tel Aviv from 2002 to 2006. So obviously that was a, a, a very difficult time for Israelis. It was in, uh, during the, the second intifada uh, and suicide bombs, at least when I arrived, were sort of horribly regular. Um, but professionally, it was fascinating. And personally, um, I had a great time, in, including meeting my wife. So I have very much always wanted to come back and, and do this job. I was one of, one of our foreign sectors was out recently. I've said this that has always been the one job in the Foreign Office that I've really wanted to do. And it's not your first job as a diplomat. Uh, previously, you were the ambassador in Mogadishu, Somalia. My first job as ambassador was in Congo and then Somalia. Uh, so there's quite a, but yes, there's quite, certainly quite a contrast with, with Israel, um, including in the work that we do. So I mean, the, in Somalia and Congo, our work was very heavily focused on development, on conflict, and in Somalia particularly around uh, counterterrorism and security. Uh, and now my job involves high tech and science uh, and technology, innovation and trade. Uh, and it's a really sort of fascinating relationship, um, including how much it's changed since I was here 15 years ago. I've had the privilege, Neil, of speaking to both ambassadors in this country uh, from Israel to the United Kingdom since I started the podcast in 2018, Ambassador Mark Regev and Ambassador Tsipi Khotevelli, who have both stressed the importance of the bilateral partnership about all the shared values. And they are redoubled, aren't they, sir, since Brexit? Because Britain resembles Israel perhaps more than it used to. It is a nation state in the same way as Israel is. I mean, there's no North African Union or Asian Union. Uh, there is the Abraham Accords, which we might talk about a little bit later on, uh, which uh, perhaps is a loose, I don't know, similarity with the EEC, if we might compare. We can't really compare eggs with eggs. But my question is, since uh, Brexit, um, Britain and Israel have a, a closer kinship to those who are supporters. So, so, I mean, a lot of uh, Israeli ministers uh, actively welcomed Brexit and saw this as an opportunity. Uh, and on the UK side, as the Prime Minister and others have said, after Brexit, we want to really build deeper relationships with countries outside Europe who we didn't maybe work with as closely as we should before. And there's a really good fit between Britain and Israel. So we're both advanced economies, very strong in science, very strong in technology. Uh, we've even got sort of compatible legal and financial systems, partly for history, partly for other reasons. Uh, so it's a very good fit uh, and, and with very strong people to people links. So there's a big Israeli community now in the UK. There's obviously a very close link with the British Jewish community. Um, and that really aids all the things that we're trying to do. And in areas, and particularly one of the things I've focused on since I've got here is science, we think there's a lot of untapped potential to do much more than we currently are, because we see that when Israeli and British scientists work together, 
it produces really good science and an appetite to do much more. There is an amazing amount of uh, Israeli minds uh, focused on cybersecurity, uh, AI, biotech, all manner of um, technological instruments which Moore's Law will um, <laughs> explain far better than I am in this question, sir. But uh, this bilateral partnership seems to grow at an exponential rate like Moore's Law. Every three years it seems to double. It, it, it feels that way. I mean, I think, I mean, the trade relationship has grown very, very dramatically. And we're um, Israel's biggest trading partner in Europe. It's third biggest trading partner in the world. Uh, a, up to almost 20% of drugs uh, used by the NHS come from Israeli companies. So it's a relationship that, that delivers huge benefit to both sides. Uh, and where we keep on finding more things that we could do. So I was with a meeting a, a group of Israeli scientists, and we were talking about some really strong cooperation uh, around healthcare. And they're saying, well, we should be doing more in the exact sciences, in artificial intelligence. We should be doing more on using science and technology to, to tackle climate change and to take the opportunities out of uh, the green revolution. So we, we keep on finding more things that we can do, the harder we look. Ambassador Wigan, you know, you can really feel the changing temperature and the relationship between uh, the FCO and Israel, closer links, because I think we can say in the Netanyahu decade, uh, he reached out to the world in a way perhaps that previous prime ministers didn't and actually could not do. Uh, the Abraham Accords is one manifestation and to willing independent nations like Britain and perhaps the eastern countries of the European Union, like Hungary, uh, like uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, etc., and Austria, there seems to be uh, a, a, a new understanding of the possibilities of, should we say, I don't know, peace 2.0. Abraham Accords are sort of a better way of negotiating peace, uh, a route better perhaps than the Oslo Accords was, uh, in the 90s. And I'm just wondering about the changing temperature between Britain and Israel. I think that in my lifetime, Britain, certainly at governmental level, has never been this close to the Jewish state. No, I mean, I think, as I say, I've been working uh, in and on Israel-UK for, for almost 20 years now. Uh, and I would, 20 years ago, I never would have imagined that relationships would be uh, as close as they are. I was down to the Ovda Air Force Base in southern Israel and saw um, six RAF fighters, which, as the head of the Israeli Air Force said, that's the most fighters you've had in Israel since you left in 1948. Um, I mean, it's a, a real depth of cooperation, which uh, has moved on a lot. I mean, and you mentioned as well Israel's global perception. So I think the perception of Israel has changed thanks a lot and thank, thanks to its technology. So Israel is providing the kind of technologies in everything from cyber to healthcare, um, that countries around the world are really interested in and really need to help them solve their problems. And I think that's changed the, the world's perception of Israel and to some extent Israel's perception of itself in the world uh, in a very positive way. Uh, and you mentioned the Abraham Accords and we, we were made sure we were one of the first countries to come out and welcome them publicly. Um, I've literally just come from a meeting with the, the UAA ambassador who's sort of the superstar amongst ambassadors here in Israel because he's uh, the first. Um, but there's a 
sort of the, the depth and energy, particularly of the, the Israel-UAE relationship is extraordinary. They're now running 37 flights a day, uh, and it's almost impossible not to meet an Israeli who's been there on holiday or business. Uh, and in, again, in fields like from education, trade, science, they see huge opportunities to do more. Indeed, I've um, come to know His Excellency Ambassador Mansour Abulhul, who uh, is on his mission here in London. And indeed, the relationship is extremely dynamic. Israel and the UAE are a similar age. They have a similar GDP. In the interview, he was proud to tell me that the UAE's GDP was slightly larger than Israel's. I'm not sure how long that will be because they are competing countries. But he also talked about something that was very, very interesting. He talked about the increased leverage uh, over Israel and that Israel has over the UAE by sheer deign of the friendship, of the trade, of the real politic in sorting out the Palestinian issue. The UAE still regards the Palestinian issue as a brotherly and sisterly mission. How possible is the Abraham Accords in a process which could bring about a peace with a competent and willing Palestinian leadership? So certainly, I mean, Zay, we see a lot of positives out of the Abraham Accords, not just uh, in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian issue, but but more broadly, but certainly in the Israeli-Palestinian issue. And you hear uh, the, the sort of Emiratis, for example, offer an opportunity for, for Palestinian businessmen, for Arab-Israeli businessmen to expand uh, more into the Arab world and to integrate into that market. And more generally for Israel to be much more fully, sort of fully part of the Middle East and working with other countries in the Middle East in a way it's just never been able to do before in its history. And I think that can give Israel uh, a sense of security and a bit, as you mentioned before, it can give us some different ways into the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which clearly has, has, made, has been stagnating for the last few years. Ambassador, what would you say to the naysayers on the hard left of British society about your role in Israel about your obvious Zionism, your support for the state of Israel, the obvious pragmatic support that you bring to this job, to the baying crowds who attempted and failed in intimidating Ambassador Chotevelli the other night. The undercurrent in Britain is it's big. Um, we saw the Blackburn Four, for want of a better phrase, tear down in their posh car, shouting out in megaphones, inviting rape and attack on Jewish women, young women, daughters. Um, there is an undercurrent of anti-Semitism in this country, which uh, we are finding expression in on the hard left. It's being expunged from the mainstream Labour Party, although some might say that not fast enough. What do you say to this underbelly of people who want to delegitimize and destroy what is obviously a positive force in the world? So obviously, I sort of cannot get into questions of UK domestic politics. What I can say is that the government has been extremely clear in its determination to combat anti-Semitism. And as I said earlier, I think that 
the strength of support that Ambassador Hotovelli received after what happened at LSE, um, I think really underlines that we're very serious about that. Um, and also, we it's a government that believes strongly in, in positives as well. So the, the desire to build a new National Holocaust Memorial um, and, and teaching centre next to the Houses of Parliament demonstrates our commitment to, to try to educate people as a really important way of combating anti-Semitism. Uh, the government is also very clear about its uh, opposition to, to the B, to BDS. We do not think that that is uh, any, in any way the right thing to do. Um, and in terms of, of justifying the UK's relationship with Israel, I feel very comfortable doing that. I mean, as I talked about before, uh, drugs which save lives in the UK are provided by Israeli companies. We have a very deep trading relationship that creates jobs. Uh, throughout the UK, and we're seeing more and more um, Israeli investment into the UK, and again, very much across the UK and in important infrastructure. Um, and at the embassy, we work very hard, for example, on giving the British firms, giving the NHS and others access to cutting edge Israeli technology and everything from uh, healthcare to uh, how do you combat uh, cyber fraud. Um, as a way of making British firms more, more competitive, more profitable, uh, and better serving their customers. So I feel extremely comfortable um, supporting the current strength of the relationship. Can I ask you about the embassy in Tel Aviv, which is, uh, well, it's a historical scenario. Tel Aviv is not the capital of Israel. Uh, and uh, I spoke to Ambassador Doré Gold, one of the great architects, I think, of, of peace uh, in the Middle East, certainly in the Netanyahu government, who helped, enabled, oiled the wheels of peace with the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan in 1994, which now looks a little bit like an Abraham Accords deal, the Jordan deal. It does. It's not an easy piece, but it's it's working and it's, it's held, and that's great. Um, but uh, his Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs is in uh, a very interesting building, it was the Uruguay embassy. It was the Uruguay embassy in Jerusalem. They moved to Tel Aviv. <laughs> what a shame. Maybe they should come back soon. Your former neighbours, the Americans just across the coast there, have moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem as great supporters of the Abraham Accords. So when are you moving to Jerusalem? Uh, so, I mean, so I, I know Ambassador Dori Goldbell. I've been to that office uh, several times. Uh, and other, as with other Israelis, I, I can really respect him and I can really disagree with him. And on, on moving the embassy, so our policy has always been that uh, at some stage, yes, we would move the embassy, but we, we expect that would be in the, the context of a peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians uh, when final, issue, final status issues are resolved. It's clearly uh, something you can only do once. Uh, and we would do it at the time when we thought it had the maximum positive impact towards the peace process. That's a very interesting answer, sir. And in what framework will that take? Would it be more along the two-state solution of the Oslo Accords, or would it be around the fast-emerging normalisation of the Abraham Accords? What structure towards moving to Jerusalem would the decision to leave Tel Aviv for Jerusalem take, sir? So we, uh, I mean, we continue to support the two-state solution. We think that is the, the best, the most just, the most enduring and the most secure solution uh, for both peoples. Uh, and we, we hope that at some stage negotiations towards that will resume. 
And it's at that in that context, we would look to, to make our own decisions. But also we believe there are things that we should do in the short term. So there are things that we can do to uh, improve Palestinian lives um, and to improve the Palestinian economy, which we think provides uh, stability and security for both sides. And one of the positives of uh, recent years has been security cooperation between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, and that's an area that we have worked on quite intensively over the last 15 years. There's an elephant in the room, isn't there, sir, in the sense that Saudi Arabia are normalising in a way that perhaps the UAE were doing over the last five or ten years. An extraordinary development. Again, I'm going to quote uh, Ambassador Doré Gold on this one because, of course, he wrote his uh, famous book in 2003 about uh, Saudi being a real threat to the world. And now, I mean, they are totally the opposite and they have rounded up Hamas operatives in Saudi Arabia and incarcerated them. They are very much on the side of the Abraham Accords. They are against Iran. It's sharpened their minds. In a way, perhaps the JCPOA deal that um, Iran did with the United States has, uh, has oiled the wheels of the Abraham Accords. So there's perhaps a subterranean culture of normalization that's going on, even if the official route, the official uh, situation is to a two-state solution. Is it inevitable, perhaps, that the more peace partners that Israel makes in the Gulf and in the wider Arab world, that actually the two-state solution might start resembling uh, the process of President Trump's Abraham Accords? So, uh, I mean, and I have talked to Ambassador Gold and others about uh, Saudi Arabia a lot, where, of course, there is acute interest in, in Israel uh, in that relationship. Um, I'm not sure that I see this as, a, as, a, as an either-or choice. I mean, we think that the, the Abraham Accords and Israel having better relationships uh, with countries in the region, we think that's potentially extremely supportive of the two-state solution. We think better relationships between Israel and the Arab world uh, can help that, can give Israel a, a security benefit and an economic benefit, uh, and could also help, help develop the Palestinian economy as well. So I'm not sure I would agree with sort of the proposition that it's uh, an either-or deal. Domestically, during the Gaza war fought in 2021, the fourth tragedy, shall we say, of this ongoing battle, and we saw domestic incidents in Lod and in Jerusalem that we had hitherto never seen before. People that might have been described as Israeli Arabs behaving as Palestinians, if you like, uh, taking on a slightly different identity, sir. As a British observer here in Israel over a long time, what would you say to that? And going back to my idea of, of it being an either-or, the idea that actually peace is beginning to be made when Israel is able to respect itself, is strong uh, in, its, in its approach. And that is the kind of subtext, if you like, of, of how the Abraham Accords has been so successful. Uh, so I think there's probably two separate questions, but so I'll deal with them separately. Uh, I mean, on the so I went to Lod myself during the, the Gaza conflict, uh, and I met both people in the Jewish community, and they showed me a synagogue that had been attacked and a, a house that had been sort of burnt out, essentially. Uh, and I met uh, Israeli Arabs, both Muslims and, and some Christians. And what you heard very acutely was that, yeah, 
deep distrust between those communities and a very tense situation indeed with um, the Israeli border police uh, patrolling, patrolling the streets to try to ensure calm. And at that stage, people quite worried about what would happen uh, if they left. But positively, it has been, the situation has been quiet uh, since May. And I was in Apo, another mixed city, which also saw uh, violence uh, just a few weeks ago. And then you saw uh, there were uh, Jewish school trips going on, there were uh, Israeli-Arab school trips going on. We could see Jewish and Arab, Arab businesses thriving side by side, so that gave a much more positive future. Uh, and there are a lot of other positive developments as well. So, uh, for example, the Technion is, you know, one of the best universities in Israel, uh, teaching some really astonishing science and engineering. Now, 27% of its students uh, are Israeli Arabs, 60% of those are women. Uh, we had an event on Arab high-tech uh, and saw some really impressive um, Arab entrepreneurs in, in the high-tech sector. And I'm off up to the north to uh, meet a leading Israeli Arab entrepreneur. I mean, the, the events in May were very shocking to everybody and to both communities, and I think they really worried a lot of people. But I wouldn't want to paint the position as uniformly dark. And you see, for the first time, an Israeli uh, Arab party forming part of the coalition. I've met uh, uh, an Israeli Arab minister, and you saw the budget allocated a large increase in funding to support the Israeli Arab community. So there's some positive developments as well. I mean, these are long-running issues, um, but I wouldn't want to just focus on the negatives. Um, I mean, on Israel's security, clearly, I mean, as you, you know very well, um, Israel has felt in a state of insecurity through its existence. It has been genuinely threatened, and it continues to be genuinely threatened. Uh, and I was up on the northern border over the weekend, and you can see, uh, and you look across and you see Hezbollah flags, you get detailed briefings from the Israelis on the threat from Hezbollah, um, and you see the instability in Syria and so on. So Israel is a country that has to take its security very seriously, uh, and we are very clear that we understand that, and we entirely support Israel's uh, right to self-defense and the need to, to address its own security. But by some measures, Israel is now at a greater state of security than it has been for most of its history, and we hope that will help towards being able to produce peace. That has some real positives to it as well. You obviously love the country, sir, and you're engaged from north to south, east to west. North to south is further, north and south, um, by quite considerable way. We won't go into the, uh, the history of that. Um, what's next for you, sir? What a wrench it would be if you got promoted to, I don't know, the US or Australia or something. I mean, clearly you're a man with great talents and great abilities um, and, you know, a mission isn't forever. You, you, you want this job? Don't you? When you, you know, what, what, what are you going to yeah, do no, now? So, I mean, I, as, yeah, as, I mean, as I'm, I hope comes across, but yeah, I, I absolutely love this job. I really, really enjoy uh, living in Israel and just, I mean, just last weekend, I was up in the Hula Valley watching cranes fly over. I was up at a, a Drew's restaurant having amazing Drew's food uh, a few days back uh, in Akko out on the sea and wandering around the old city. So there is just an extraordinary variety of things to do. Fortunately, I have every intention of being in Israel for at least another two years, so I don't have to think about uh, what's next. But it will be very difficult to find something to top this. Ambassador Wigan, thank you very much for your clarity and your great answers. And I really appreciate you spending the time here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. 
Thanks, Johnny. It's been a, it's been fun and a, and, a, and a privilege. We've enjoyed some great guests in recent episodes. Not caught up yet? Scroll back for Ambassador Doré Gold, architect of Peace with Jordan in the 90s. Ambassador Michael Oren on why peace and security are symbiotic. Why compromise is a beautiful word with best-selling author Tim Marshall. And why Israel is the Western world's last man standing with Melanie Phillips. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. North America, Europe, the Commonwealth, the whole of the Middle East. The world is listening.